0: Last time I forgot to say my own name, so <laughs> yes. let's, let's try and get off to a better start this time. But what if there is no tomorrow?
1: There wasn't
2: one today. Get away from her, you bitch! Five words. No. Oh madman. Do or do not. There is no time.
0: Welcome to episode 132 of the Fest Podcast. This week's nerds are.
3: John Farthing, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson,
0: and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, it is time to. Yay! <laughs> yes, you're about to... yes! I remembered my own name. It's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, it is time to buff and bluff ourselves until we can bluff no more in our completely original and in no way ripped off quiz. And we'll hear Dan's thoughts and excitement about what has been unveiled at the Star Wars celebration, for he is there. And we'll hear some exciting interviews that John, Peter and Ian did at the annual NerdFest Festival. So let's start the show.
4: It's Easter weekend as we're Ooh. recording this. Has uh, anybody come back to life recently? <laughs> oh
3: God. Has <laughs> anyone uh, um their Easter egg early? I was given
4: some chocolate um, after eight minutes that may have already been troughed.
3: So you don't get eggs.
4: We haven't exchanged eggs. We have family eggs that mm. have, have come,
3: but we we still have it. <laughs> we you don't reproduce like normal humans. We, so. still, we,
4: we still have the main egg exchange to happen tomorrow morning. So the annual egg
3: extravaganza. <laughs> oh, let's not do egg puns. <laughs> <time on episode. laughs> Please let's do egg puns. <laughs> I like a good yolk. Oh. That would be extremely oh. annoying. <laughs> yes,
4: yeah, so we, we're recording early on saturday because i am about to depart um, we are taking our seven-year-old nephew to see the super mario brothers movie and oh, i'm very sorry <laughs> to hear that <laughs> one of us is very excited about it is it you <laughs> no <laughs> is it louise <laughs> yes
0: what tactics are you going to use to get yourself through this very difficult time in your life
4: well we're going for food beforehand so i may have a beer beforehand and then just fall asleep during the film thing is, I like Mario, so... You may not by the end of this. I may thing. not, now.
0: Seeing the joy on your nephew's face is just... That's what it's all about, isn't it?
4: Seeing the joy on his face in the first ten minutes before he necks back an entire thing of pick and mix <laughs> and then goes completely feral in cinema. <laughs> yeah, that, that ten minutes will be great. <laughs> oh
1: John, do you want to do us a preemptive review of Mario based on your assumptions of what it's going to be like?
4: Um, more murders than I expected. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh,
0: metaphorical b- murders of the Mario voice.
1: Yes, and childhood. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Chris Pratt, mm. curb stomping Goombas. The bit where Donkey
4: Kong gets shot and his fur used to make a coat for Princess <laughs> <it's> Peach.
3: <laughs> so, do you think this will put Nintendo off making movies for another thirty years? Um, well, we I, I,
4: apparently not. It's making a fortune, isn't it? To say it might have like a two hundred million worldwide opening weekend, something mm. like that. So.
3: It's going to be financially successful. The first one didn't make the money back that it cost to make. It did not know. There's something like sixty million budget. And let's not go too
4: far into the world of Mario trivia, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> As a preemptive strike.
0: Has anyone seen the other uh, Game Boy focused film that's come out recently, Tetris? I
4: haven't. No, I'm looking forward
3: ah, to it because yeah. I, I know the story, and the story is fascinating.
0: As a lawyer, this is your bag. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Because from what I gather, it's not so much about inventing the game. It's more about just all the sort of struggle to actually bring it to the West and, and get to, it out to get of get Russia. get the rights, yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't the Russian government get a percentage or something? Is that right? Because it was they, developed by someone at a university? He certainly was working for
4: the Russian government whilst he created the game. So Alexey Pajnitov. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he struggled afterwards. He created a game called weltris Tetris mm-hmm. in a Well. Hatris, Tetris with hats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he only had one idea.
0: It was a
3: damn, <laughs> it was idea. A damn it was right. good idea, yeah, wasn't brilliant it? Yeah. Idea.
0: And we also saw the new Barbie trailer, which gave us a, a peek into what the heck Greta Gerwig is up to. Kind of. I mean, I still, I have no idea, but I know that I have never been more excited for a film ever.
3: <laughs> so I haven't seen the new trailer yet. But does oh. that reveal more whether it's actually just aimed at adults or whether it's aimed at kids as well?
0: I don't know. <laughs>
3: towards the end of the trailer, there's a, a, an extended riff where
1: it sounds like characters are offering to beat one another off. Oh,
0: yes. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to beat you off. They're, They're on a, a beach.
1: and They're going some... to have a beach off. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, someone right. offers to beach both of them off at the same time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kid-friendly, no. Mm. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, it, it revealed a little bit more about Ryan Gosling's comedic approach to Ken but also, I firmly believe this—he is going to be a serial killer. I think. I think it's going to be a Me Too kind of movie where Barbie has got to try and escape Ken's clutches.
3: Yeah. Okay. he may that. be projecting <laughs> there, but we'll find out.
0: Probably. Yep. Very much so. Um. But, but probably not trailer, a kids' movie then. <laughs> when you see the
1: trailer, you will see Ryan Gosling's cold, dead eyes, and yeah. you will agree—he kind of always looks like that, though. Yeah. yeah. Good casting. He could play the shark in Jaws
4: without CGI. <laughs> just him swimming with a fake stuck on his back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did think the trailer was a little more obviously gaggy than I was expecting the film mm-hmm. would be yeah. but it, it, again it's, it, it's a trailer you can never be too certain.
3: When's it due?
0: 21st of July. Mm. It's a
3: little way away yet. So another tra- three trailers between mm. now and then then. <laughs>
0: Now we will hear from Dan, who has been enjoying all of the news being unveiled at the Star Wars Celebration, and we're going to hear his very excited reaction to it all.
4: Oh my God, I'm here at Star Wars Celebration. Oh my God, it's so exciting. It's like... to have become American. There's like, and or, and, and or somebody else as well. And then I, I saw a man... Who was dressed in a Darth Vader costume And I pulled his helmet off And it was just a nerd It was very exciting You've met Dan right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which one of those I'm going to say six accents That you cycling through
0: (laughs) Oh sorry sorry, I
4: thought you meant Dan Ackroyd Sorry Jesus
3: Christ So should we actually hear from proper Dan?
0: (laughs) Yes Let's (laughs) We
3: just did didn't we?
5: (laughs) Hello nerds Dan here reporting from a galaxy far, far away, or, more accurately, the Excel Centre in London, where I've been at Star Wars Celebration Europe 2023. It's a very exciting time to be a Star Wars fan right now. After a surprisingly moving, goosebump-inducing opening video that featured the whole Star Wars saga so far, we got our first look at Leslie Headland's show The Acolyte, which brings the High Republic era to live-action for the first time the Ahsoka trailer had the audience cheering almost continuously, especially the fans of Star Wars Rebels. If you haven't watched that excellent animated show yet, now is the time. We were treated to a preview screening of the latest episode of The Mandalorian. Watching it on a big screen with an audience was something really special. And speaking of something special, while James Mangold was on stage announcing his new Star Wars movie project, he brought a 6 minute preview from Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny for us to see. I wasn't sure about a new indie movie before, but after watching this footage, I am super excited. We now also know that all the current Star Wars TV shows, possibly including Jude Law's Skeleton Crew, which we also got a trailer for, will assemble in a movie directed by Dave Filoni. And Daisy Ridley's coming back as Rey don't mention her surname for a movie where she'll lead a new Jedi Order. Very exciting. I bought the t-shirt. I bought so many t-shirts. We went to every Andor panel available over the four days of Celebration, and got a sneak peek at the currently filming Season 2, as well as behind-the-scenes insights from the show's costume designer, composer, special and visual effects artists and more. Oh, and we met Kino Loy himself, the great Andy Serkis, who is absolutely lovely in person. I could go on and on as there's so much to talk about, like the live Empire podcast about Return of the Jedi, which posited the question, how many Ewoks could you take in a fight? The answer, by the way, is none, as those fuzzy little murder bears are deadly, but I'll stop now. I'm leaving Star Wars Celebration with a lighter wallet and a happy nerd brain. It's a fantastic atmosphere, with everyone just pleased to share their love for Star Wars, particularly the dedicated cosplayers, from the full-size Wookiees walking around to the Pedro Pascal superfan who dressed as a hybrid of The Mandalorian and Joel from The Last of Us. Anyway, if anyone listening does have the spare cash to send us nerds to Galaxy's Edge, or the next Star Wars Celebration, which will be in Japan in 2025, well, that would be just fine. May the Force be with you.
0: Shall we buff or bluff? Yes, I let's. So. You know what, I never get to go first. Why? Well, sometimes do, but shall Peter I go first? to go first? <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, Hazel, why don't you go first? Okay.
0: Alright, so Andy and I have been watching the newest uh, Planet of the Apes films over the past week. So that's Rise, Dawn and mm. War for the Planet of the Apes. Andy'd never seen them. I saw them once in the cinema uh, and very much wanted to revisit them. And they are fantastic, so if you're stuck for something to do, do watch I just them. just
4: realised I've never watched the last one. I really enjoyed the first two oh. for some reason... But I've never mm-hmm. got round to watching the last one. I'm not going to spoil a... it.
0: Don't worry. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes is absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. We watched that last night.
3: It's on Disney+. Plus. Have you seen the, the original set of movies?
0: Nope, I have not. No, right. I've not even seen Uncle Tim's version.
3: Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yes. Tim Burton, this yes. is. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, my facts are about the Planet of the Apes reboot. So, mainly focused on Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which was released in 2011. Starring James Franco, Priyanka Chopra, and Andy Serkis. Is that the first
3: one, Sally? Si?
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, I was uh, wondering
3: the same. Thanks, John.
0: <laughs> goes Rise, Dawn, War.
3: Surely Dawn would come first. If you met Dawn, she's hard to please. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: oh, that's what the Rise is.
0: <laughs> Flip sake. <sink. laughs> and Andy Serkis as the protagonist, ape Caesar. So, number one. Originally, a stunt performer was cast in the role of Caesar. It wasn't until a few weeks before shooting began that Weta Digital convinced production to get Andy Serkis for the role. Mm -hmm. Number two, Rise of the Planet of the Apes is technically Charlton Heston's fifth appearance in the Planet of the Apes film franchise. I can go through them all. Okay. Number one, he starred in Planet of the Apes. Mm You do that? Mm -hmm. Two, he played a smaller role in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Number three, he was seen in archive footage kissing Zira in a sepia yellow flashback Mm. in Escape from Planet of the Apes. Number four, he had a cameo in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. And number five, he can be seen on the television set in the ape bunkhouse in the role of Michelangelo from The Agony and the Ecstasy. (laughs) Uh, Number three, the experimental virus that James Franco's character Will creates to try and reverse the effects of Alzheimer's disease is called ALZZ. Who the fuck am I? I'm ALZ one one two, and that is because the number one one two has a significant spiritual meaning. It means new beginnings and being in the right place at the right time. Now, the producers liked this not only of the possibility of Alzheimer's becoming eradicated, but also because they were approaching this new franchise from the apes' point of view rather than the humans.
1: How does the number mean all of those things?
0: It's um, an angel number, with a spiritual number, and all of these different numbers have different meanings.
1: I, I've never heard of such a thing, but I'm not really down with the angels.
4: <laughs> I hate every chimpanzee from chimpanated chimpanzee. or <laughs> you'll never make a monkey out of me. That's
1: the best planet of the apes. Oh my gosh, I was wrong. <laughs> it was Earth all along. You finally made a monkey. You can cut this out, please. <laughs> Sorry, we we're doing a musical this time. It's from The Simpsons. I don't know
0: okay. what's happening. <laughs> I, have you, you not seen?
4: Doctor Zeus. Doctor Doctor Zeus. Have you not seen the Simpsons episode where Troy <laughs> B- McClure stars in a musical version called "Stop the Planet of the Apes"? I need to get off. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> no, but I do want to. No, know. I'm, it, I'm It's, it's brilliant.
4: <laughs> They do, they do, like, in the middle, they just stop the episode for, like, a five-minute montage of a Planet of the Apes musical with about four or five different songs.
0: Is it better than Spider-Pig?
1: Yes. Miles better. <laughs> can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, well, I, I couldn't, couldn't before. before. <laughs> <laughs> Did to learn it. Did Sorry, we were doing a podcast, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Andy Circus is phenomenal, and Caesar is the central character of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And um, I I don't want to denigrate stunt performers at all. Hollywood does that enough. But (laughs) would they have cast an, an, well, presumably unknown um, Mm -hmm. or much lesser known stunt performer in that lead role when Mm -hmm. it was going to be so important to the film? Or would they have thought of Andy Circus from the start?
3: Were they intending to replace all the face with CG with a motion capture performance somewhere else in the studios?
0: This was on location mm-hmm. um, filming so the actor who would eventually place Caesar was in the thick of it on the locations.
3: And were they intending to replace the facial performance with the actor doing the voice?
0: I know that when Andy Serkis was cast, mm. they tried to get as close to his wrinkles around his eyes mm. and like his mouth movements and obviously then put the the ape stuff on top of that. And certainly in the in the later movies, as they try, as the technology developed, it got closer and closer to Andy Serkis's on-location performance. Yeah. I
3: think I remember hearing this story at some point. The kind of thing you hear. Yeah. I, could, I could definitely believe it. It's very believable.
4: I remember him spending months doing, like, gorilla movements and stuff, but I might be conflating that memory with King Kong. It was he Ape yeah. Kong, wasn't he? Oh. Yes, he mm-hmm.
0: was, yeah. And, of course, he did uh, reprise the role in the later films as well, so it, you might be thinking of... His preparation oh, for the list. Oh, might be dude.
4: talking bollocks.
0: I might be talking bollocks. <laughs> That's the former.
4: <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. As Peter was saying, it's such a central character. I would imagine that had gone with somebody mm. like Andy Serkis from the very beginning.
3: This is for the first one, yes. This is for the first one. Where he's one. essentially yeah. an ape in a lab, as opposed to a sort of walking around with armor on, like he is in the later ones.
0: He mm. does a bit of walking around because he grows up in James Franco's house mm. until he gets put in ape prison because of something that got out of hand. And Weta Digital were always the production company behind mm. the visual effects, who, of course, worked with him on Lord of the Rings.
4: I do remember them saying they went 100% with CGI monkeys. Yes,
0: there were no real apes yeah, in the and film. And that
4: was partly because of the, same, because the story they were telling, they would have felt uncomfortable... Caging them and... Caging real animals
3: and using trying animals, Performing
0: yeah. monkeys.
3: Uh, Peter, now... As opposed to having this sort of American Humane Association stuff, you say no animals were harmed during the making of this. They basically now expect digital to be used almost all the time.
0: I thought you were talking about yourself in the third person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter expects this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it never works for some
1: reason. So, Charlie Heston.
0: Charlie Heston. What Charlie a lovely, Boyd. lovely man.
1: Lovely, cold, dead hand. Yeah. Charlton
0: doesn't like guns at Not all. Not a gun-toting maniac.
1: <laughs> well. I can believe that. I noted um, relatively early on in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, there was a brief background mention mm. of A Mission to Mars, which I think is part of the story of the original one. Mm. And it will have been full of little nods to the original like that. And there was definitely a film, I didn't recognise it, but there was a film on a on a TV in the mm. ape The area.
0: Agony and the Ecstasy from 1965.
1: Wow. It could be a bluff, but... It would be a very, very good bluff, I think. He
4: definitely yeah. had a cameo in the Tim Burton one. Zales. And I remember them all in sort of interviews after I was going, oh, yeah, which you?" was like, let's just not talk about politics today and stuff like that. <laughs> I think Tim Roth was particularly not keen on having him there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for Andy Circus being the bluff. Um, so that was the first one.
1: What were the, were the other two, briefly?
0: So the second one was Charlton Heston's fifth appearance being in Rise. Right. And then the third one was...
1: Mystical uh, spiritual numbers.
0: The experimental virus being called ALZ-112 because of the significance of the number 112.
3: I'm going to pick that because numerology is a bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> it and is. For in, no other good reason.
1: In one way or another, that's definitely a bluff. <laughs> There was also a virus uh, 113, I think, because there's another one developed. Is there yes. a, um, another meaning to 113? Does that mean death or underbaked cookies or something the like that? The meaning
0: to 113 is it's uh, one more than 112.
1: Oh. oh. No, see, that mathematically, I, I don't know if uh, you you know, <laughs> uh, that's actually mathematically accurate. Hang on, I'm just going to check okay. my calculator.
4: <laughs> God is right.
1: Good grief. It it all (laughs) adds (laughs) up. Screw it. I'm going for Charlton Heston. I reckon um, he didn't appear in some of the other ones you mentioned. I reckon it won't have been his fifth. It might have actually only been his second appearance in a Planet (laughs) of the Apes film or something like that. So I know at least three was in.
0: And you're going to, yeah, advise you to do something which I never normally do and listen to John.
1: (laughs) Okay. So Andy Serkis then. <laughs> uh, yeah, they cast him from the start. That's that's what I always thought.
0: So two for Andy Circus and one defying spiritualism. I guess <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. number one about Andy Circus only being cast two weeks before production is apparently true. Yeah, yeah. By War of the Planet of the Apes, are obviously calls for him to win an Oscar for his performance, which I think would have been richly deserved. But yeah, mm. only offered the role two weeks before filming began at the behest of Weta Digital. He's like, this guy is. The one you want for he's the stop motion. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> he's the one you call. And he also built a consulting company,
4: the Imaginarium,
0: that consults on other um, stop motion. Not stop motion. That's the wrong word. What motion capture? Motion capture mm-hmm. performances. It's good to see him doing a lot of stuff himself
3: now. But though, he, he was, was doing that because he was like a major bad guy in Luther and things. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, no, the Luther thing was last month, so
3: no, that was returning a character from previous... He was in the original TV show. Was he? Yeah. Shows how
4: much attention I've paid. I've watched every episode of that show and I have no many of them in it.
0: That's because he was played a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second one about Charlton Heston's cameos is also true. Knew it. I also believe that he can claim to be in War for the Planet of the Apes, which came out in 2017, when the orangutan Maurice speaks to a human child. Her name is Nova, and he goes, Nova? That dialogue is the actual voice of Charlton Heston speaking Ooh. the same words to Linda Harrison. Ooh. So it's been electronically altered, but still recognisable as Charlton Heston. So the bluff is number three. Yay! <laughs> but the real answer is much more interesting. According to a producer, the code name of the first experimental virus in the movie was originally RT-112, and RT is running time. Planet of the Apes is 112 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, then they later changed it for ALZ 112 to reflect Alzheimer's.
1: Mm. Oh.
0: Interesting. Mm,
1: Very loved. well bluffed. Yeah. I believed the spiritual numerology thing more than I thought I ever thought possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite angry
4: now. I just didn't think that would be something <laughs> you would have made up. We've learnt something today. We have. Never <laughs> trust Hazel.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, what have you got for us?
4: As we mentioned in the intro, I am shortly to depart this place to enter the bowels of hell, known as the Cineworld Cramlington, <laughs> to eat Nando's and watch the Super Mario Brothers movie.
3: So in tribute to that... It's probably better to do it the other way around. <laughs> the, the Super Mario Brothers and watch, watch Nando's.
4: Nando's. I'm very looking forward to, as a vegetarian, being taken to a place that sells exclusively chicken. going to be fun.
0: <laughs> Just have the chips. Two yeah. top- portions of chips.
4: Oopsie.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Peter's slapping my hand. Gently. Oh, gently trying to hold it. <laughs> Just comfort me through <laughs> <laughs> Thought you pulled them away quite quickly. <laughs> it's okay, John. We'll have to watch the movie sometime. <laughs> okay, so here are three facts about Mario. Fact number one. During the release of Mario 64, Nintendo released a manga comic book featuring the adventures of Mario which suggests that the one-up extra-life mushrooms that you get actually grow out of the dead body of Mario, thus <coughs> <laughs> <First laughs> completing the cycle of life. So Mario dies, goes into the soil, dissolves, the mushrooms go out of the soil, and another Mario eats the mushroom and gets an extra life.
0: That's a Lion King. That's the plot of the Lion King. Is it?
4: Yeah. Ah, I didn't,
0: I didn't know that. It's like, about lions. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, but the um, lions eat the antelope, but then... When the lions die, they become the grass and then the antelope eat the grass. Thus, the circle of life, which is the theme tune. Ah. Mm. we have all learning lots today. <laughs>
4: uh, number two, <laughs> for the release of Super Mario Sunshine on the GameCube in 2002, Nintendo, for the London launch, had an art exhibition where one of the artists they got was Damien Hirst to create some unique artworks. Damien turned up with models of Mario, Yoshi, and Luigi sliced in two and placed in formaldehyde tanks in the style of his shark. Nintendo removed them before the show started and just paid him off.
1: Ha! Sorry, (laughs) please do go.
0: (laughs) I don't think I understood any of that.
1: (laughs) That's fine.
4: (laughs) You've seen the shark in formaldehyde that Damien Hirst did? No. So Damien Hirst, the British modern artist, Famously in the late 90s, yeah. chopped a shark in half, put each half in a tank of formaldehyde and displayed it as an artwork.
0: I was still in my uh, terrified of sharks after watching Jaws Too Young phase, So mm-hmm. I-
4: And it became like an iconic British art thing. That was
0: horrific. Yeah, it was fairly <laughs> mm. grim.
4: People used to do paintings. Mm. <laughs> uh, so because Damien Hirst was like the most famous artist in Britain at the time, they commissioned him to do some artworks, right. which I say was Mario and Luigi. Chopped in two and placed in tanks of formaldehyde in a nod to the shark. They were removed before the show started after Nintendo realised
3: what a terrible mistake they'd made. Well, <laughs> speaking of stuff that mushroom grows in.
4: <laughs> and finally, number three... Nintendo owned the rights to two pornographic films based on the Mario Brothers franchise. Oh, God. Uh, In 1993, the movies Super Hornio Brothers (laughs) and Super Horneo Brothers 2 were made over the course of three days on a budget of £30,000. The tagline for Super Horneo 2 was Grab hold of your joystick.
0: I have one question.
4: Have you seen them? I have not. Uh, The reason I have not seen them is that prior to their release, Nintendo bought the worldwide distribution rights for both films in order that they could put them in their vault next to the Damien Hirst artwork, never to be seen again. In 2011, a copy of Super Hornio 2 leaked onto the internet, but Super (laughs) Super Hornio 1 is yet to be seen
0: just to clarify, super hornyo
4: super hornyo
3: brothers. okay, okay. Mm. Hey, it's a me hornio. <laughs> okay so there's two of those that sound like john
0: yeah
3: how do you think with paul in it it's likely to be john
0: yeah but i think john did a nintendo or bluff mm-hmm. maybe a few months ago mm-hmm. and it was covered in sleeves yeah like that kind of tracks a little bit with the Nintendo era. <laughs>
3: I think that tells us more about John, actually. Well, yes.
0: <laughs> but the one where he was smiling the most right. was the second one. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: I
4: smile all the time because I'm a happy, happy man. Johnson some biscuits? <laughs>
3: <laughs> so that was me watching Super <laughs> Horny. <over there.
4: laughs> oh, God.
3: Why would they buy it rather than slap a legal injunction on them?
4: Because under the American system... Parody is allowed, and porn hmm. films count as parody, which is why you've got uh, loads yeah. of porn versions of popular films and How TV. much did they
3: pay for them? I don't know. Because what's to stop the guy spending another 30000 and making another N- one? Making another one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
4: Maybe because he makes porn for a living so probably isn't that bright.
1: I mean, it's obviously number two, isn't
0: it? Let's have a conversation about number one, which is the circle of life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the they'd... one-up mushrooms... Coming from Mario's dead body, did you yeah. say? Yeah. So when
4: Mario dies, the mushrooms grow from the corpse of Mario, which is then eaten by new Mario to give him an extra life. Where does the new Mario come from? Don't
0: know. So if you die in Mario, let's... Um... I assume
4: it's like the end of the Prestige. I think you fall down and get duplicated or something. I don't know.
3: How many drugs do you think Shigeru and Miramoto <laughs> was on when he designed m- Mario and all the various stuff of growing large mm. when you eat certain things? But and
0: My question is... If you die more, is there more mushrooms?
3: Don't think so, no. no. Right.
4: I
0: mean, I, I th- I th- apply th- logic.
3: I, uh, yeah.
4: Stop. <laughs> I think it was more, it was just a, a manga, anime, comic that they commissioned and artists went off and did their own okay. interpretations.
0: When What year was this? This
4: was 96. Then when Super Mario 64 came King. out.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I believe that. Yeah,
0: but, I do believe that. One. I mean,
1: I, w- I would probably believe it anyway, but I believe it mostly because number two is obviously the bluff.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was a young British art, so, you know, it was a big thing at the time. No, it wasn't. It was. <laughs> I'm amazed you didn't remember the shark in from Elderhide that, that wasn't it. I mean, that's probably yeah. the most famous British artwork of the last 30, 40 years. Along with
3: I'm Tracy little... Emin's bed and the huge was... submarine built out of car tyres. Jesus, I mean, fuck art, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that's number three.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they he chopped the characters in half
4: yeah in they were like there. resin models because it's quite fierce for have you seen the other thing that he did the um, the skull the anatomy on one you know the anatomy toy where you could pull the organs out and he did like a massive bust of that so he, what's
0: in mario's so. midriff
4: uh, um, it was quite accurate <laughs> unfortunately you could see like internal organs and stuff but it wasn't like he chopped a real person in half it was just like a, a resin model
1: oh because I thought he'd killed the real Mario <laughs>
4: <laughs> no I mean um, <laughs> I thought there was it, a, it, a could, p- it, could, it could potentially had this been a bluff,
0: an alternate version
4: <laughs> an alternate version might have been he dressed a tramp up as Mario and cut yeah. him in half
0: or Chris Pratt you know uh, we wish <laughs> alright so it's time shall to decide shall we
3: decide that number two <laughs> is the no.
0: I'm going for number two
3: uh, yes me too yeah you're alright <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course you are <laughs>
3: But very
1: entertaining.
0: Creative, mm-hmm. I, I admire your brain. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: If Mario is hacked in half, do two, two mushrooms, go. mushrooms go. grow <laughs> up? <again? laughs>
0: Mario, blood and honey.
1: Oh, and then that's your tie-in to The Last of Us. Yeah, there you go. That's where the cordyceps came from. That all makes sense all now. All video games exist in the same universe. <laughs> yeah.
0: Peter.
3: My Buffer Bluffs are about cases where a movie or TV show has led to a real-world food franchise.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
3: First off, Disney often have themed restaurants in their parks, but they experimented with real-world Pizza Planet restaurants in Chicago and New York. These shared locations with a Disney Quest theme park in a box and a Disney store. The last of these was shuttered in 2014. Theme park in a box. Uh, Yes. Is that something that makes sense? (laughs) It is, yes. Okay. okay, So that was a large building, and the idea was it was like a virtual theme park. So it was all computer-controlled, like, interactive rides. For instance, there was like a river raft ride where you sat in this sort of inflatable boat and rocked from side to side Mm -hmm. and it measured your movements and used that to steer you all together down a big virtual river ride. Mm.
4: Cool. Mm. I've been to a Disney quest twice and I went once just after it opened and it Mm -hmm. was amazing and then I went again about four or five years later and they just let them rot really and uh, half the rides were broken and so it was a really good concept at first but they just seemed to lose interest in them.
3: Mm -hmm. And the idea was the massive investment you have to do Mm -hmm. in a real theme park that this would be a sort of little pocket version of it. Yeah. Never really came to fruition. I I assume
4: you've been to the one in Florida. I have, yes. Yeah, the same one I've been to, yeah. Which closed a couple of years ago, I think.
3: I actually looked yesterday and it's not there anymore. Number two. Breaking Bad's Los Poyos Hermanos is now a real restaurant chain with 14 takeaway locations in California and Nevada that you can order from through Uber Eats and DoorDash. Can you buy drugs? (laughs) No, you can't. (laughs) But the menu does include Heisenbergers, Mm. And Slaw Goodman <laughs> And number three The movie Forrest Gump Led to the creation of the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company Which now has 34 locations 12 of them outside the US
0: mm. I believe there is a Bubba Gump Shrimp In Leicester Square yes, yeah. London I believe that wanted to be true
4: mm. I'm not sure it's still there I'm not sure it survived the pandemic But it mm. certainly certainly was there mm.
3: Apparently donors can call a waiter with a stop, forest stop sign.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're not quick enough, run, forest run. Okay, so Pizza Planet. Do mm-hmm. you find those little aliens in the... Um,
3: in the grab machine. Back. In the grab machine, yeah. Ah.
0: <laughs> Does anyone know if that's a real franchise? I don't know.
4: The thing is, I've been to Disney Quest and I don't remember there being a Pizza Planet there, but that mm. doesn't necessarily...
3: Yeah, it was the ones that were not on Disney property where they linked all three things together and put a Disney store in as well.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Because there's obviously a Planet Hollywood. I don't know if it's maybe got too close to that.
3: Well, it was the success of that and Hard Rock Cafe and things. Mm -hmm. those sort of themed restaurants is why. I I guess you didn't
4: pick ones that you thought I would know because there's quite a few. That's how this game works, yes. (laughs) Because I know Moobies is a thing now from the Kevin Smith films... Yeah. Which was a fictional burger joint. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was designed to take over the world in Dogma before everyone got shot to hell.
4: <laughs> okay, um, I, 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 I'm I veering towards Breaking Bad being the bluff.
0: Heisenberg is a good pun.
4: Yeah. I just feel I know that. I feel like it'd be more widely publicised. You said there's 14 of them?
3: Yeah.
0: In California and Nevada.
3: Some of which you can eat in, but most of them are takeaway or uh, delivery. Is that something that you would need to have the rights to? Yes. So is this some sort of officially licensed thing or is it? Yes. Each of these three things are. Okay.
0: What's it called again? The restaurant?
3: Las Poyas Hermanos.
0: Mm -hmm -hmm. It means
3: the chicken brothers
0: in Spanish.
4: (laughs) I'm going to go for that because pizza, and that sounds the least, I know the shrimp place exists. I don't know the first two, but I would be more likely to know the second and I don't. So I'm going to go for that being the bluff. Me too.
0: I feel like if they hadn't started a Pizza Planet franchise, it would be a missed opportunity. So I'm mm-hmm. surprised it didn't, you didn't capitalise on it if it was a bluff. So I think we're all in the Breaking Bad, Oh yep.
3: Okay. As you said, the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company does exist. There was like an ailing seafood company that wasn't doing very well. So they bought the rights, put it on their products and sell them through supermarkets. And then a restaurant chain came up and said, can we licence this? And yes, they became real restaurants as well. Apparently Chris Pratt, to return to him, was discovered working at a Bubba Gump location. He waited on Ray Dawn Chong, who just starred in Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and she offered him a role in a short film she was directing.
0: It's mm. all her fault. It's all her fault. have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, him in Parks and Recreation is brilliant, but he's not made some great choices recently.
3: In mm. films or life. <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: The Breaking Bad one is real. Oh. Yes. Oh. And it also includes things like The Pinkman and various other things, all themed mm-hmm. from the show. I've not seen
1: it.
0: Jesse Pinkman is one of the main characters.
3: He is a pink man, I mm-hmm.
4: understand. He is a giant oh, yes. pink
3: man. <laughs> it <means> like <laughs> a, yeah. It's like a
4: human sausage. <laughs> a human salaloy. <celluloid. laughs>
3: the one I made up is Pizza Planet. Well, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I was sucked in by the level of detail. <laughs> <laughs> Disney did have pizza restaurants with that name in Paris Disneyland and a few other places. They closed them a couple of years ago. I feeling it was all a bit tawdry and not Disney enough. And mm-hmm. kind of wasn't really a high quality experience.
0: Mm. Right. Yeah, Andy, what's your buffalo bluff?
3: Well,
1: I have a question for you. What's more awesome than a radical California surfer dude? Nothing. That's what. <laughs> so here are the three most. <laughs> <big> <laughs> with my heart, <laughs> I, I thought
4: you were going to say John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are you a radical California surfer dude? Only on a weekend. It's Saturday, John. Uh, Here are the three most bitchin' surf movies ever, one of which is so totally tubular that it doesn't actually exist. Can you guess which one? By
3: the way, I've never seen Point Break. Also, is all your knowledge just coming from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Uh, And The Simpsons and QI, yes.
1: Um, In this case, I'm not going to use my own words to describe these films. I've just lifted the narration straight from the trailers, and I'm going to imitate them for you now. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Whoa! Someone's let a horse loose. (laughs) (laughs) I said, whoa! New Line Cinema presents an awesome, (laughs) ripping, totally stoked new movie, Surf Ninjas. It's the story of these kids who get booted from their country by this evil dude. Now, they're growing up in LA and their life's one major vacation. But some gnarly ninjas give him a blast from their past, so they gotta split with their one-eyed guru, and go back and save their country. Which is cool, cause they meet this mystery babe, and like, one <laughs> dude gets these superpowers, one can see the future in his Sega game, and one, well, one's a geek. <laughs> and now they gotta fight the righteous fight, and basically kick some... Because it's a family comedy and they can't say ass. you got to see Ernie Reyes Jr., Rob Schneider, (laughs) Wild Thing, Tone Loke, and Leslie Nielsen as Colonel Chi in a film by Neil Israel,
3: (laughs) Surf Ninjas. Neil Israel being one of the police academy guys, isn't he? Is he? I didn't know that. Number two.
1: Bobby has everything. (laughs) (laughs) Please, let's take this seriously. Bobby has everything a guy could want. He's young, he's cool, he has a beautiful girlfriend, and he's about to compete in California's biggest surfing competition for a million dollar prize.
0: Did you say Bobby? I thought you said Bobby. Yes, I <laughs> Oh, oh Bobby. It's just yeah. the,
1: the spot on accent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's only one problem Bobby's dead. Oh, no given a second chance at life by a voodoo priestess. Now he has 48 hours to get revenge on the gang leader that killed him, save the girl, and claim his crown as the one and only Zombie Surf King. It's got thrills, spills, bodacious babes, and the sickest (laughs) surfing action you'll ever see. Starring Rob Schneider, (laughs) David Bradley as Styx, and introducing Gwyneth Paltrow as Kelly. See the most radical thrill ride of the summer, (laughs) Zombie Surf King. David Bradley, as in... It could be a different David Bradley.
4: Not the old guy from the Harry Potter films.
1: That's who I'm thinking.
4: Mm.
1: Probably not.
4: He could be the guru guy.
1: That film was from 1990.
3: Okay, I suppose that was 30 years ago.
1: Number three. Hmm. Sometime in the near future, a major earthquake will lay waste to the entire California coastline. Good, no, from I'm sorry. out of the,
3: <laughs> just cramped out me there.
1: <laughs> from out of the rubble will rise a menace far more terrifying than the death and destruction. Oh no! Surf Nazis. <laughs> the beautiful beaches, once the crown jewels of California, are now ruled by ruthless gangs. Only one person is powerful enough, daring enough brave enough to stop them. Only one person can ensure that surf Nazis must die.
0: Winston Churchill?
1: (laughs) (laughs) On a surfboard. (laughs) She's tough. She's dangerous. (laughs) She's all woman. (laughs) She's Leroy's mama (laughs) And as long as she's alive The surf Nazis must die First there was the road warrior Then there was the Terminator (laughs) Now comes an action film of relentless excitement See the film that is creating A tidal wave of action all over the world See Surf Nazis
3: must die I can guarantee John will know that movie as well
4: Yes um, um... Trauma? Yeah, I, I may have seen Surf Nazi's moustache. Or <laughs> <laughs> dreamt it, who knows?
3: I thought that was what he was reading the plot from for Surf Ninjas, actually. Mm. And obviously not, dude. <laughs> well, middle one sounds least plausible.
0: Yeah. Introducing Gwyneth Paltrow. Did Gwyneth Paltrow make her name in a B movie about surfing?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it was her her first feature. Nicole Kidman made hers on one about BMX bandits.
0: Mm.
1: So we've got Surf Ninjas from 1993.
0: And Rob Schneider is in first two. Correct. Okay.
1: Uh, Zombie Surf King from 1990, and Surf Nazis Must Die was all the way back in 1987.
4: I think I know this. I think I've seen one of the other two as well, or I'm aware <laughs> of
1: one of the other two. Do you think you've seen both of the real ones?
4: Yes. I will, I will, I will keep quiet because I think I, I'm aware of the answer.
0: I kind of believe the Surf Ninjas one. Mm-hmm. When did that come out?
1: 1993.
0: Yeah, that's like peak
1: mm-hmm.
0: things. <laughs> 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 I've forgotten the way around it is, so I thought I'd stay quiet. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
4: He was in a half shell turtle power.
0: Saw so the uh, trailer for the live action version of that uh, with uh, Seth Rogen. looked quite good.
4: Yeah, I've heard good things about it. <laughs>
0: I kind of believe that one. I thought I heard a couple of Andyisms in the second one.
4: Mm. What's an Andyism? Blimps. Blimps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> kind of making a point and then doubling down on it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's weird to list the cast, though.
1: But well, they used to do that in trailers in nineteen ninety. Rob Schneider.
0: Very different to Roy Schneider.
4: They thought they'd cast Roy
0: Schneider, yeah. and
4: then when he turned up on the first day, he was like, oh, shit.
3: Can you imagine Blue Thunder starring <laughs> Roy Schneider?
4: Can you imagine him in
1: Jaws?
0: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, we're going to need to book about, oh.
3: You're giving this a lot more thought than I <laughs> reckon you would. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you, you, why, if he was going to make one up, why would he put the same person in it? Could he not think of the other I'm people? That's I'm
0: thinking, yeah.
3: Well, that doesn't help him
4: with which I one know, he's made because up. Because we
3: know it's one of those yeah. two.
0: Yes, because Surf Nazi is very true. I'm going to go for the second one.
1: I am as well. I'm also going for the middle one. Yay! So you all think that Zombie Surf King,
6: Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: where Bobby has everything a young Californian surfer dude could want, the only problem is, Bobby's dead. Y- yeah, yeah, well
6: done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I made that up, and uh, it's available to option if um, Disney That's is listening. Cute.
0: It is genuinely a uh, Barbie film, though.
1: Barbie goes surfing yeah (laughs) Barbie surf zombie
0: it's not but it could be
1: (laughs) well thanks very much for indulging me I enjoyed doing silly voices
0: (laughs) you may have preempted the plot of the Greta Barbie I expect there'll be zombies in that yeah zombie Ken surfing away And now let's head to some interviews that we did at the annual Nerdfest, a festival. Not our festival, although there should there should be a Damn festival right. about Nerdfest. We should maybe get on that if we weren't so lazy. Anyway, let's <sighs> now go to our interviews that were captured live at the Nerdfest Festival.
4: Hi there, my oh, name God. is Peter Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here with John Father, oh, his incredibly God. large penis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What do you think, John? <laughs> oh, what <do> I think? <laughs> <laughs> you still can't do Yorkshire. Can't do my John? own voice. <laughs> <laughs> was, were you doing Peter there as a 1920s newsman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Nerdfest
4: podcast. We are live in the upstairs room. We have with us our special guest who is here for Q&A,
6: Simon Donald from The Viz. Hello. <laughs> nice to see you again, mate. From off of The Viz. From off of I The Viz. I was one of the, uh, the founders. And I don't mean that I found it under a hedge, which is where most people find dirty magazines. <laughs> I are. mean that me and my brother and our
2: friend invented it. I just looked it online, and uh, a copy of the very first episode or uh, issue of this, that was around £900. Oh.
6: Well, do you know what? Issue one isn't the rarest one. Is it not? We put limited edition on the front, but we didn't realise that nobody's ever in a room with all of the comics and able to count exactly how many of them you've printed. There was only ever 500 of issue two printed. Issue one was reprinted two or three times at least, so it's not as rare as issue two. Issue two's worth more than issue one, although that's entirely dependent on who wants it and whether they're prepared to part with the money, isn't it?
2: And so, when when was the moment when it really exploded for you?
6: Um, Well, it kind of that. It's it's interesting because there were explosions all along the line. Really, we printed it not knowing if anybody else would be interested, and it sort of turned out that we had accidentally put knob jokes in print for the first time. Really, I mean. With hindsight, we look back and, oh, well, you know, there the was this this kind of humour everywhere, even there's a bit of it in Shakespeare, and, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Chaucer in particular, he yeah, was pretty but, Chaucer, Yeah, Chaucer was massively um,
2: into his snob gags. Apparently the, the earliest joke ever recorded is, is a Sumerian um, fart joke, which is over 5,000 years old.
6: Wow, I bet that one smells really bad right now. <laughs> Michael Palin was a great inspiration to me when on a radio interview once... And the interviewer accused him of reveling in postgraduate humour. And my opponent said, oh, no, 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 no. It's schoolboy humour. <laughs> Even younger. I went, oh, that, that's, yeah, own it. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. To these young men who were picking up his, there wasn't anything in magazines for them. But then there was this whole world of these kind of jokes that we all thought we only had with our friends. But it turns out everyone has them with their friends group as well, you know. There was an interesting figure that came up in research done by the publisher, which was we were by far the magazine that had the biggest readership who weren't necessarily buyers. Every comic was passed around, they reckon, uh, between six
3: to eight people. Could you convince advertisers of that?
6: Brian and the card bar Handyside Arcades, was somebody who used to sell things to teenagers The advice he gave us, which really led to some of the greatest success we had, he was saying, you need to take on advertising so it can become a job and you can give up doing the other things you do. But we said, if you put an advert in Viz, it it, it, it would clash with, with what we do. And he said, ah, but if you allow yourself to be the butt of a joke, teenagers think you're cool. Yeah. And they'll also think anyone who bigs themselves up is not cool, Right. And so, we basically then had a, an advertising policy, which was we will design your advert. You can't design it yourself. We'll say whatever we want about your business. We guarantee you that it will be derogatory, say bad <laughs> things about what you do and about your services. And if you don't like it, we'll print it anyway, even if you don't pay for it. Was it uh, the Parley? There was a curry oh, house Parley, in Newcastle. Yeah. Lord Harpole ran a curry house. He was a mad keen self-publicist. He wanted to be mentioned in the press wherever he could. so People were just aware that his business existed, you know? He would let us just say whatever we wanted about his curry house. He didn't used to pay for his ads. What he used to do, he used to feed everyone in the office on our deadline weekends. And he would literally come down the office himself with all of this hot food from his restaurant and we would all have this massive slap-up meal in the office on nights of deadlines. Some businesses didn't get it. There was a guy called Martin Keegan who ran Faze, I don't know if you remember, at the fashion shop on High Bridge. It's like a punk fashion shop. We did an advert for him, and he hated it. It was me dressed in, like, the worst jumble sale clothes I could find. (laughs) Like, massive flared check trousers and early 1970s, like, tank top. All the stuff that was absolutely not what he sold, you know. And it was all done in the worst sort of graphics. He said, I'm not paying for that. It's awful. And then what happened was people started to come into his shop and say, hey, love your advert. in the... That's so cool, <laughs> know. you know. And he went, oh, <laughs> yeah. And then he paid for his ad. And then he got us into design all of his brochures for him, you know. Oh, wow. So it was like counterintuitive.
2: So you, you still love your comedy? You do, you do amazing stand-up, especially Barry Twyford. Why one you my, think He's one of my favourite characters of all time. Who makes you laugh now?
6: Some of the local ones who tour the UK. Yeah. My favourite throughout all all the years I've worked in stand-up's got to be Gavin Webster.
2: Yeah, he's brilliant. He's isn't
6: he? unbelievable. I mean, but, but he's been around for years. There's also young acts out there now i don't know if you've seen the women's shows that they've done at the Tyne theater for international women's mm-hmm. day the had a rape crisis yeah i went
3: to the last one it was brilliant
6: there's so many great young women in comedy i mean louise young she caught my eye the first time i saw her and she's now been signed by a big agent mm-hmm. so you probably will see her on tv before long do you have a gig lined up in the next couple of weeks so that people would be able to see you i'm at the stand in glasgow and edinburgh and if you're familiar with Feld now, they, they put on a lot yeah. of gigs in the northeast, and I'm always doing gigs for them. So you can check out their website. Oh, I've got a bus tour coming up as well. But that's sold out, so there's no point in plugging <laughs> <off. Okay. laughs> But there'll be another one coming up. I do <laughs> bus tour gigs with my brother. And you're, you're signing things
4: downstairs today? Yeah, I'm doing drawings. Well, One of your pictures has pride of place in my downstairs
6: bathroom. So every time I excrete... Do you want to hear one last quick story? <laughs> yes, I bumped into Mr. Sting off the police at a, at a charity event. It's the first time I'd had a chance to speak to him, like ever, you know. And my friend Angie stepped up and so she says to, turns to Sting and says, do you know Simon? He was one of the creators of Viz. And Mr. Sting says, oh, Viz. He says, I've got everything you've ever written about me on my toilet wall. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Because we've written some very interesting things about them, right? How does that go down with people? He says the Americans come out and they say, oh my God, <laughs> what the hell is that? I say to them, it's this man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all he tells them. <laughs> it's this man. You can take the man out of your <laughs> <land. laughs>
2: yeah. Well, mate, it's always a massive
6: pleasure. To well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Simon. Yes, thank Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. Our second guest
4: today can be found inside Aliens, Predators and several Game of Thrones monsters,
7: Ian White. (laughs) Hello everyone, thank you for such a warm welcome. So is this your first time at a Nerdfest event? Yes it is. (laughs) It's fantastic. I never cease to be amazed by the, the sheer dedication of genre fans. So
4: you're known mainly for appearing under quite a lot of makeup I would say.
7: Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I look good in a mask, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Talk me through some of the roles you're best known for. Well, probably most notably the Predator from the Alien versus Predator franchise. You're just over seven foot tall, is that right? That is correct. So
4: when you put the Predator costume on top of that, what's that like?
7: Height-wise, it adds probably about six or seven inches. The cowl and the helmet are quite large. So how long did it take to get all that costume on? Is it quite quick now, or...? If we're talking about the Predator, it's not as lengthy as you might imagine. There's no prosthetics involved. The makeup involves just blacking out the eyes, so there's no skin tones that can be seen underneath the Predator mask. We don't want that. We want to sell the whole package. It's actually an alien warrior. And getting into the costume takes roughly an hour. So when you're in that costume, um, what can
4: you see? What can you hear?
7: (laughs) Whatever I need to see in here, to be really honest, the mask visor in the first movie used to mist up after about five seconds, so after five seconds I was blind as a bat. And it would have to come off again for the next take, and the uh, visor would be demisted, maybe we'll start again.
4: When you're acting without being able to use your face, what sort of skills does it take to portray a predator?
7: I had one frame of reference when I was preparing for the first AVP movie, and that was the original movie. You know, I went through it frame by frame, trying to extrapolate any kind of nuance, any kind of uh, performance device that I could use in my own performance. You know, and I learned very, very quickly, you know, the slightest nod of the head, uh, the small finger movement could convey a great deal of emotion. So it's more of a physical performance than
4: anything else.
7: Indeed, you know, and it's it's all part of the, you know, the whole package.
4: As well as The Predator, you also have an alien connection.
7: Uh, You were referring to Prometheus. I was the last engineer, indeed.
4: I've seen the film about four or five times now. Um, Could you explain the plot to me? (laughs) It's a trap. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like working with Ridley Scott on that film?
7: Uh, he's a genius, he is a gentleman, he is an artist.
4: Good answer. Was it four roles you played on
3: Game of Thrones?
7: I forget. I think I ran out of fingers.
3: <laughs> and where were you filming
7: those? I know they were filming all over the world, including Ireland. Uh, almost everything I filmed was in Belfast or around Belfast, except for Series 3, where we went to Iceland.
4: What was it like being a cog in such a massive production which was filming all over the world and with millions and millions of people watching?
7: Absolute joy, really, 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 Um, you know, despite the grim nature of the, uh, you know, of the storylines, we had so much fun.
4: Your first career was as a professional basketball player. What happened? Were you seen by someone when you were playing?
7: It was quite simply a case of having an opportunity and grabbing hold of that opportunity and not letting go. You know, looking back at it, I didn't know that it was going to be a new career. Uh, I just saw it as an opportunity. And out of all the creatures that you've played, who was your favourite creature? I'm really fond of the humans that I've played. (laughs) I'm a very similar process to playing, you know, non-human characters. I have to humanise them. I have to talk to myself in a language that I can understand. So, you know, if we use the Predator as an example, you know, I would go mad trying to figure out how an alien thinks. But I know how a human thinks, and I know warriors exist. So the predator is a warrior. So there's my starting point. I had a
2: massive crush on Frances de la Tour when I was a kid. Could you please confirm how wonderful and
7: lovely she is? She is an amazing person. She's sublime. There's an absolute joy to double her on Harry Potter. She had immense stamina because at the same time, she was on the stage in the West End doing the History Boys. So she would film her, uh, her shots first thing in the morning. I would take over after lunch and she would depart for the West End. I can now die happy. <laughs> is there any monster or creature that you would love to play? I'm currently working on a play featuring Dracula. Uh, not sure when or where it will go into production. There are countless characters that I would love to play.
4: So other than Dracula, is there anything else in the future that you could tell us that you've been working
7: on? I have a lovely werewolf horror movie coming out later on this year, hopefully, called Year Two, starring Frank Grillo and directed by Stephen C. Miller. Oh, I love a werewolf movie. You're going to love this one. (laughs) So that's been really good. It's been great to talk to
4: you. Thanks very much, Ian White. Thank you. Now, our last guest is Steve Wraith, an actor, author and screenwriter. And he's going to tell us a little bit about how he broke into his career as an actor... And his efforts to put together his own movie, which is coming out later this year. Good to see you.
8: You started out in the People's Youth Theatre, is that right? Which both Peter and Ian were in. Saturday mornings were spent with the likes of you guys running around making fools of ourselves. So it was a great opportunity to tread the boards and and do what I enjoyed doing and and learn the craft. So afterwards you kind of fell out of acting for a little bit. Why was that? A guy who will remain nameless got a local company doing pantomimes during the work of men's clubs. You had 200 odd people in there, all drunk as uh, badgers and we basically had to go in, put the set up, do the pantomime, tear the set down and move on to the next venue. Sometimes you were doing three pantomimes a day. I was only 16 going on 17, did 60 shows in three and a half weeks over that period and it killed the acting dream for me. I thought, if that's acting, you can stick it. So I walked away. And what reignited that spark? It was a conversation with a, a local actor, actually, and a, and a mate of mine, Chris Connell, and he was doing a play up in the northeast called Bouncers by John Godba. It was going to be on at The Sunderland Empire. And John Ullman was in the play. I was working on the Doors at the time at C Nightclub in Newcastle, and he asked if he could come and work on the Doors with us on a night out. So he came, he shadowed me, the manager of the nightclub was over the moon because he had the opportunity to have a celebrity in his club for free. And John just soaked it up, what it was like being a doorman. They invited me to the premiere of the Assembling Empire. As we walked up, they were actually doing the door of the theatre. As he went in, they were going evening, evening, <laughs> and all the people walked in didn't realise it was the stars of the show on the door welcoming them in, which was fascinating. But um, we had a night out after the first night, and Chris said to John, Steve used to be an actor. John said, well, why don't you get back into it at the time I was 30, and I just shrugged it off. Chris then rang me the next day and he said, look, Steve, you should really maybe reconsider it and go back. He, he offered me an opportunity to go to see a, a local agent who'd set up a, an, an extras agency, supporting artists as they are now. That's where the acting bug was regained. So you've had a film career since, uh, particularly
4: with have of the Foot Soldier. Could you tell us a little bit about that? My very first role was
8: um, 55 Degrees North, which is on BBC. Which uh, Ian also appears in. yeah. I turned up with the audition, I'd been to watch Newcastle play, which is my second love after my wife, and I ended up having a few drinks, turning up for this audition. I was looking at the director, I'd also had a few drinks, was also a Newcastle fan, and he said, you must have been at a football last night, he says, listening to your voice, and I went, yeah, I was. We spent 20 minutes talking about how good Newcastle had been the previous night, and then he said, I suppose you'd better read this. I read the script and I got the part within 20 minutes, so that was the start of it. That was where the, the opportunity came along for films, and uh, the first one, before Rise of the Foot Soldier, was in our name, which was shot in the Northeast. So I, I put in for it, I got a casting, and I, I managed to get the part as a sergeant major in that film. But again, I made myself useful to the director. He was on a low budget, like a lot of films are. I managed to get him a few extras for free. I managed to get him the use of a boxing gym. I got him the use of a nightclub, and we ended up basically becoming mates. At the end of the whole filming schedule, he says, anything I can do for you? I said, help us get an agent. I found then that I was getting put forward for, you know, a a lot more parts. So, the rise of the foot soldier is where that comes in. This is a huge franchise. It's a big film. This was the third one. Great opportunity to work alongside Craig Fairbrass, who's obviously the main star of the show and also alongside one of my favourite singers. I say a singer, entertainer, uh, Sean Ryder. Happy Mondays, legend, who played his very first and last acting role, he said... But not because he starred alongside me, but he just couldn't learn the lines. Yeah, I think he popped up in the Avengers movie at
4: some point. Not the Avengers movie we all know, the, the Terrible Ray Finds movie. And I think he's
8: in that, in one scene in the background with no lines after they were all taken away from him. When you see the prison scene, the way sitting in the canteen, Tony Craig Fairbrass, he's got the script on his knees. Literally, whenever you see Sean Ryder on the Happy Mondays, he's always got the words to his songs on the lead speaker at the front and he's reading them through fascinating guy. What are you working on at the moment? I spent lockdown writing a film. It's about a, a crime family based in Newcastle. And I wrote a book about them five or six years ago. became a bestseller in the North East. The film is a labour of love because in the words of the late great Mike Elliott, all we get up here is coffin spit parts. Which means there's a lot of great actors up here who don't get the opportunity to play the lead role. I'd written this script and uh, my mum was fully behind it, fully backed it and I've invested my inheritance from my mum into a film called A New Breed of Criminal. And that's where the journey started. So July last year, we casted in Newcastle. Got some names in it. Nicholas Ball plays Charlie Cray in the film. Eddie Webber, who you might know from the business. Yeah, you know, it's been a big dream. We, we used 51 actors, 47 of them are local. It's uh, gonna be released globally. Seven countries are boarded now, which is great. And it comes out later this year, probably end of June. We're waiting for the release dates. Trafficking comes out at the end of next week, which was my first lead role as a villain. It comes out on Amazon Prime and Sky next Friday.
2: So really exciting times for you.
8: Very exciting, yeah. And delighted to come down here and just share the top table with you guys. Yeah, I think we need to wrap up and let the uh, magician get back to do this thing. Before we do, you've got a, you have got a podcast as well, if you want to give that a quick plug. It's mainly Newcastle, NUFC matters on YouTube. Predominantly seven nights a week. NUFC Mattis covers Newcastle, and boy, is it a joy to do that in a minute. <laughs> but I'm a
4: Leeds fan, so uh, not so much fun.
8: <laughs> Before it's with you,
4: and thank you very much for coming and speaking
1: to us. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Thanks, so much Cheers. Thank you.
0: That is all for this week's episode of Nerdthess. Nerd chess.
1: I it was fine. Nerd chess. Nerd, Nerd, Nerd
0: chess. chess. <laughs> We'll be back in your ear holes with your consent, of course, in a few weeks' time. In the meantime, do follow our social channels, we're at Nerdfest UK, and see our takes on the week's movie news. It would also be delightful if you could take the time to leave us a review. And here is John to try and tempt you to do just that.
4: Yes, if you leave a review, I will invite you to my screening room at my house where we will watch the Planet of the Apes trilogy, along with ten apes I have recently liberated from a zoo.
0: Cool, ish.
4: They're very angry, Are they? and I've run out of bananas.
0: Okay, I'm not gonna ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, you've been listening to
4: a man who's deciding exactly when to take his special mushrooms before going to see the Super Mario movie.
3: <laughs> a gnarly Quimby who's gonna hang ten on a racy nug, bro. <clears throat> A man who believes you are what you eat, in which case I'm a Heisenberger and fries.
0: And a woman who thinks Andy Serkis is incredibly talented, deserves an Oscar and is very sexy.
4: But only when he's a CGI ape. ape.
0: <laughs> Otherwise, no thanks. Or Gollum. Mm.
3: <laughs> Don't you turning her off.
0: <laughs> Would you like to see my
3: ring? <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: see you next time. Bye-bye.
3: Bye. Bye.
1: You keep nasty chips.
0: You should have double chips,
1: isn't it? raw and racking.
3: I still don't know if there's really a such thing as shark repellent. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. There's definitely not shark repellent bat spray. Uh, yeah.
4: If there was a shark repellent, they would make surfboards out of it. It's very true.
3: Maybe you need to spray it directly out the shark. Mm, yeah, yeah, you could have when a nozzle. Mouth, when it's mouth's <laughs> open. <laughs> what you do is you show it a mirror and it says, oh, my teeth need cleaning, and it goes and does it.
4: Remind me never to go swimming with you, Peter. <laughs>